0: Whether on the go or at the table, get lost in a conversation about everything coffee with your host, Eric Ortiz. Hey everyone, welcome to Everything Coffee, a podcast that delves into the relationship of coffee with a variety of people. from manufacturers, cafe owners, coffee roasters, social media personalities, and so much more, this podcast takes on a deep conversation about everything coffee. Our guest is the founder and owner of My Friends Coffee, Gary Lundy, Having roasted for the past 10 years, My Friend's Coffee started off roasting coffee for just friends, believe it or not, and before it evolved to something much more. Brining himself as a home roaster, My Friend's Coffee maintains small-batch roasting package in the original brown bags and tagged with Sharpie, often with a personal handwritten note from Gary himself. All, by the way, of the many that I've kept over the years of uh, enjoying his roast. I've kept those notes. Really amazing uh, handwritten notes that he, he puts in those little bags. My friend's coffee continues to thrive and delivering across the world. And on the Doorsteps across Los Angeles, you can visit My Friend's Coffee at myfriendscoffee.la.com and on Instagram at myfriendscoffee. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Gary Lundy. Gary, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks very much. Ah, man. I, you know, it took an act of Congress. It did. It, take, it took an act of Congress to <laughs> get <and> it, <laughs> it took an act of Congress to get you on, but I'm so happy to have you.
1: Um, oh, that's so nice! Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm glad that we can make this work out. This is uh, super exciting for me too.
0: Oh man, I uh the, the first time I met you, well, we've never met in person, but we've talked um a slew of times um uh, over Instagram and and uh, just just other social media. And every time I've ever talked with you, I'm always so uh, just just impressed by you because uh, how elegant eloquent of a speaker you are, um. How you deliver yourself? Uh, I I remember that episode that we did on on Roaster uh, Spotlight, and it was just one of my favorite to work on because you you, I didn't have to do anything you were you were just like like you took (laughs) off and and I was just like yes hit hit the hit the uh, big time with Gary here. Well, um, uh,
1: this is going to be a a tough climb for me this time to live up to (laughs) expectations. I'll do everything I can.
0: You have a background in writing, don't you?
1: I do, I do. Yeah, um, I'm. Uh, I, I began as a. Well, since I shouldn't say began. I still am a. I'm a professional screenwriter. Um, and my friend's coffee is a total accident. It was um, something that happened during the pandemic. It was a very happy accident. It remains a very happy accident. Um, but I've spent my life as a screenwriter. It's something I still do. And my friend's coffee is really my passion project. That, um, that I get to do and develop and dig into in, uh, in the time that I have. And it's been unbelievably fulfilling. It's been a total surprise. I didn't expect it to turn into what it's become. And, um, and it's a thrill to roast coffee for people, to get to talk to people about that coffee once they've had it, and then to sit down and chat with people I, like you about the process.
0: I am going to toot your horn because I know you're not going to. But, um, yeah. I, I will tell you right now, uh, there, there are many roasters around the country, around the world. And I, I find myself always going back, uh, to Gary's roasts, uh, for whatever reason, they're, they're just impressive. And, uh, yeah, I, I know you, it. no, no, it's, it's just, um, every time I've ever had anything you've made, I've always been left kind of like, wow. Um, and I know that you've only been doing this as a home roaster for ten years. you've been you, you consider yourself a tinker of sorts,
1: yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's right. yeah, I think it's the DIY spirit that drives most home roasters and I'm not an exception to that. I got into it because I loved coffee and because coffee was a vital part of my writing ritual, I'd get up super early in the morning, um get up at about four thirty or five in the morning, and I would write, and at that time in the morning the world world is very very lonely place. All you have is your sure. cup of coffee, and it became my companion, and I just fell in love with coffee. This was ages ago, and, and it became clear to me that there was a whole world of coffee beneath the world of that we're all regularly exposed to at the chain shops and stuff, and I decided to start ordering coffee from different specialty roasters. Now, this was this was back before the term specialty was even really known or acknowledged. It was kind of in the early days of that and I kind of had to like seek these places out. And so I was ordering from across the country and I ended up getting a couple bags that I just thought were totally extraordinary. And they had a depth of flavor to them that was really eye-opening and they made me want to achieve that on my own. And it didn't seem like it, <laughs> just didn't seem like it would be that hard, and that was foolish of me to think that. But I sort of I, I had this coffee, and I went, well, I think I could do that. And um, I really like just figuring things out on my own, tinkering, like you said, and, and trying to create experiences that other people have created for me without their help. And that's how it all began. So I bought this kind of shoebox size roaster that you just plug into the wall. I roasted in my old apartment. And I would snake a dryer vent out the window and smoke out my neighbors. And uh, <laughs> it went on with that. for a while. I was I was uh, removing chaff in the courtyard of my apartment building. i just pass the coffee in between two colanders and create a hurricane of chaff that my neighbors had to walk through too. So my neighbors weren't too thrilled about my hobby, but I was. I thought it was amazing, and I got more and more into it. I ended up um, buying a very small handmade uh, drum roaster um, and that had data logging capacity. I started monitoring all of my roasts on the computer, tracking different metrics like temperature, environmental temperature, rate of rise change. And from there I really began refining things and I got to the point where I was making coffee that was, that was to my palate anyway, as good as anything I could find elsewhere. And that's sort of, where I expected the story to end. I did not expect the story to uh, break out from there into a business. That that was the part that really took me by surprise. It, it grew
0: dramatically. I mean, you, you were doing this just for yeah. friends, right? And and all of a sudden, um, boom, you got yourself a business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really funny because I'm not, I don't consider myself an entrepreneurial guy, um, but it started during the pandemic with one friend Who, uh, he is a coffee geek like me. He knew I roasted. He would get his beans at shops. The world shut down, and those beans were suddenly unavailable to him. And he knew that I was access. I was access to good coffee. And so he said, hey, can you bring me some coffee next time you roast some for yourself? So I roasted some for him. And I brought it over to his house. And he was having like a get-together in his backyard, social distance kind of early pandemic days thing, and I dropped off this bag, and he jokingly referred to me as his coffee dealer. (laughs) And then as I was leaving, I got a text in the car from my friend saying, hey, um, one of my pals that was at this party thought it was really cool that you home roast coffee, and he's wondering whether you would be willing to roast him a bag, and I was doing nothing (laughs) because – uh, work in the screenwriting had, had basically come to a grinding halt in the early days of the pandemic. And I just had a lot of time. And so I was like, sure, yeah, no problem. And I decided to sell him a bag. And then he told a couple friends, they told a couple friends, and you game it out. And, and very, very quickly, it grows in a manner that's approaching exponential. So it, it happened really, really fast. And it turned into something that was very real and that required a lot of time and attention. And the challenge became uh, applying the necessary time and attention to the business while also maintaining the rest of my life that had been in place for some time. So that, that and that's still frankly what I deal with most of the time.
0: I, I don't know how you, you get so much done um, because it, it has grown in and I think you even got it into stores, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've actually, I've scaled that back because it's, too much. Um, I, I, yes, there are in Los Angeles, there are a few shops that, um, that would carry my coffee and they, I tried to make sure they were all really, really high end places. I wasn't really interested and I'm not interested in having my coffee in just any random store. They had to be places that I liked, either coffee shops, restaurants, markets. And I found a few places like that and uh, did that for about a year. Um, although recently I kind of pared that down because it's just a little bit too time-consuming for me to be able to roast wholesale. And the other thing is, I still roast on a on a relatively small machine. So I, I, as I said, bought a small home machine years and years and years ago. That was where I really learned drum roasting and data logging and refined all of my my roast techniques and the process. But once the business started to really grow, that machine absolutely couldn't keep up and I reached this crossroads and had to decide whether I wanted to dig into this and really turn it into a thing. And I did that required an investment in a in a larger commercial roaster. So I bought a San Franciscan. That's what I roast on today. But it is a it's one of San Franciscan's smaller models. It's not a it's not a you know behemoth roaster that can churn out 50 pounds at a time or something like that. So for me, doing wholesale is, is quite a lot of work, and it's, um, it's just not something I'm totally interested in. My preference is to be able to sell direct to consumer, and the other part about the business that I really, really love is being able to talk to consumers and geek out with the people who buy my coffee about the coffee and hear what they like about it, and sometimes hear what they don't love about it and refine what I do based on the way they react to what I do.
0: And, and you're, you're someone that I've always, when I've talked to, you're you're always a wordy individual when it comes down to understanding coffee, um, just details. And, and part of that detail is is you writing a little note every, I, I don't know, do you still do that, Gary, with, with all your coffees? Yeah, yeah I, do.
1: <laughs> I do. Well, in the beginning... In the beginning, I would write little novellas. I, You know, I was like, <laughs> ridiculous. Like, I, I I was writing way too much. About, I, but I, I, did that not, I did that not out of some want to ingratiate myself with the customer, but more out of like a, a genuine interest in creating a rapport about the coffee and showing my enthusiasm for the coffee. Because, you know, if somebody's buying a geisha from me or something like that and they're paying good money for that bag, I want them to know, first of all, that, I've cared quite a lot in the creation of that bag, that this is not something that was haphazard on my end, and that I'm approaching this in a way that's really detail-oriented. So I would sit down, and I would write a really, really serious note saying, here's what this coffee is. This is the processing that was used during production. Here is my approach to roasting it, and here are all the flavor notes that you should look for. And, hey, if you have any questions about any of that, here's my email, here's my Instagram handle, you can reach out to me whenever you want. And in the early days, I would uh, I would drop coffee here in Los Angeles. I have a pretty robust uh, following here in LA. And I would drive around in the early days of the pandemic and just drop bags on people's doorstep if they were here in LA. And I would always leave the handwritten note with them and I'd leave my cell number. And I've become really kind of friends with a lot of people that have purchased coffee from me. And what's funny is in many cases I've never seen them, but you know, we, (laughs) we chat all the time. Um, and it's been really cool. So the, my friends coffee thing, the name, which is of course a kind of like a, a cute and hopefully memorable name. It, it gets at something that's a little bit more than just commercially appealing. There's, there's honesty in that. I actually have developed a group of friends who are all coffee enthusiasts and we get to geek out about coffee together um which is just super cool it's a it's a really great part of the job
0: so it's safe to say that coffee's still fun for you
1: oh god yeah yeah if it, was, <laughs> if it wasn't fun i wouldn't keep doing it and you know i don't i think it's interesting because i i i, I do this alongside screenwriting and screenwriting is a really wonderful thing that I'm deeply passionate about. And I got into that because I loved writing. I loved words. I loved stringing them together and I loved creating stories. And that's the same thing with coffee. I got into it because I love coffee. I love roasting it. I love creating profiles. I love identifying flavor notes. And more and more, I love the service end of the industry. I like interacting with customers. But with the coffee thing... It, what's really important to me is that there's there's not an inch of it that um, diminishes the love that I have for coffee. It's a passion project. It always has been, and I think an advantage that I had in going into this is I never set out to create a business that would um, carry the burden of supporting me, my family, financially. And because I don't worry about that so much with the coffee business, I just really only do what I love. I, I roast coffees that I find really extraordinary. And if I don't, they just don't land in my roaster. I I don't roast, uh, stuff that's kind of, you know, uh, run of the mill. And, um, I don't really have an interest in, in having a, a big machine that feels impersonal. I like having a small machine that, um, allows me to connect with, with all of my customers. So maintaining the passion part of this passion project is at this point as important to me as creating incredible coffee. And the two obviously go in, go hand in hand.
0: Sure. And you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, um, there's been a few people who I've, I've talked to in the past and, and whenever I've talked to them, one of the coffees that always comes up is yours, and I've you know I always say like oh, you, have, you have to try this. It's it's impressive, but when I describe people, uh, two people about you, I, I often say Gary is a writer. He's a he's a scriptwriter. He's a screenwriter, um, and, and he he talks as as eloquently as he writes, and he writes as eloquently as he roasts. <laughs> and 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 I know that sounds weird, but if anyone's actually had your coffee, they'll understand that the coffee is is just part of the whole like the ritual thing about getting coffee from from you because it comes with a handwritten note, the bag that that I kind of talked about in the intro, the brown bag that's still in a sharpie. There's yeah. something just there, and I'll sound, it sounds weird, but coffee people may understand, but there's something romantic. About the notion of coffee, yeah. still, and it, yeah. it kind of just brings you to this classic state of coffee where it feels fancy and and it feels mm-hmm. custom made for you, and and that's how I've ever felt. That's why I've kept your cards, by the way. Whenever you've written something, I've always been like, "Damn, do you know, this, that that's just that's just awesome." And uh, and you're yeah, right, it doesn't awesome it doesn't message. yeah, it doesn't toot your own horn or anything. It just literally says, "This is how this coffee was made. This is what I think." I did to it. Hope you enjoy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think the, the word you use there, romance, is is the right word. I, I think that for me, something about coffee, it it digs into craftsmanship, um, an application of time and attention that just doesn't exist much these days. And you get to grab a coffee produced by hopefully a very caring producer and processed hopefully in a way that was totally meticulous and you get to put it in a roaster and be just as caring and just as meticulous about it and then you get to bag it up and you get to hand write on that bag you know and you get to write a note and you get to say here is exactly what you should be looking for in it at least according to my sense of this coffee and I I think that that is a little bit romantic. There's something about that that's, it's like, uh, it's poetry in a cup. You just get to do all of this stuff and you get to, for a brief moment, live in the cup of coffee, hopefully experience the same tasting notes, or if not the same equally wonderful tasting notes that I've experienced. And you walk away a little bit happier for that, that little ritual that we all do five minutes each morning or however many cups you have each day. But it's uh, it's definitely a romantic thing. I totally agree with that. I think that that's that's the right word. Absolutely. And, and being as a gifted
0: roaster that you are, Gary, how how does one do that and, and not really ever kind of start off or getting mentorship from someone? Or did you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So the the way I got started was like I said, I bought this this uh, electric roaster that I would plug into the wall, and it was a crude machine. It, you don't really have much control. You're certainly not tracking um, all of the metrics that I track today, and and there's not really much consistency that's available to you in a machine like that. But you get the fundamentals of it. You get the idea that there's. Uh, transformation that happens that that transformation expresses itself via color change via aromatics and the more you do it you can kind of develop a sense for those parts of it and then once i started roasting on the um on the drum roaster that i bought not the san Franciscan, but my first drum roaster which was as i said a really small machine it was only a 500 gram batch size but once i started roasting on that and data logging I bought about every book i could find on coffee roasting so I bought um, Scott Rayo's books he has by the way if anybody's listening to this and is looking for some guidance about what books you might want to check out I absolutely would say that the first thing you should do is grab all of Scott Rayo's books um, he's phenomenal and he lays out in a very clear way all of the science um, that that undergirds drum roasting and he shows you all of the variables that you need to be watching out for. I also bought Rob Hu's book. Uh, He's excellent. And and there's just a a bottomless pit of information on the Internet, as there is with any subject or craft. And just by bumming around on the Internet enough, you can find out quite a bit. But at the end of the day, you get good at it because you do it over and over and over and over and over and over. And in my case, especially, by the way, once I started uh, selling bags, in, uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, I had really over years and years and years really refined my roasts processed um, before that. But then all of a sudden I had a 500 gram batch machine and I had quite a lot of people that were expecting me to churn out coffee for them. And I wasn't doing anything else because work was basically shut down. So I honestly sat in front of this tiny drum roaster for hours and hours and hours, day after day after day, running batch after batch after batch, tweaking one batch and then tweaking it again, the next one, and then again and again and again, and cupping and cupping, and you know, it's the it's it's the um, it's the ten thousand hours thing. You know, if you do something long enough, you just you start to get better and better at it. Sure, but I would say that I. I I, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to claim that all of this was self-taught because it certainly wasn't. I had an unbelievable amount of guidance that came from somebody like Scott Rao, um, who I know, by the way, um, is just incredible. Like, guy is a, a resource that I still use, and I would direct anybody to him or any of the other people that I mentioned, Rob Hughes, and stuff like that. Um, they're invaluable resources. So it's a combination of practice uh, repetition and then study if that makes sense
0: absolutely and um I, I i i i'm just impressed um by everything you've done because i i just am kind of floored by the idea of the, that there's these gentlemen and and women out there that that have been doing this for for far longer and uh have not reached that uh zen level apparently of of roasting and not only that but you're 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 not roasting like you you mentioned earlier you're not roasting um you know lesser quality beans if, if you know in, in that sense you are selecting single origin coffees and rare coffees here Um yeah and and these are yeah. not cheap uh for anyone that understands coffee in, in general but the, the the green coffee that comes in at, at especially the rare coffees i mean it is a little pricier and, and the quality that comes out, if, if you mess up, uh, you know, that that's it. And, yeah, and, and yeah, so, that's, that's yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, and, and for anyone that's kind of understanding, like if you've ever bought a geisha, you're not going to buy a geisha for, for anything less than 20 something dollars. Um, and, and the reason why is because it's so expensive wholesale. And, and then on top of that, roasting that, uh, and you're getting, you're not getting a full bag either. You're just getting maybe half of that um yep. but it's just because it's so special. So how nerve-wracking is it for you to be working with such fine coffee? Um is it just something that you've just just developed and you're just like I I'm into this. I'm I'm just going to treat this as anything else and and go for yeah. it?
1: Yeah, it's horrifying. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh... The stuff of nightmares that I'm, I'm often slick with sweat every time I roast. I'm dropping, dropping beans, I'm charging, and I'm freaking out. <laughs> no, the, the truth is there are, um, there are certain beans, geisha for sure, that are really, really expensive. And, you know, that, obviously within that category, within geisha, you have some that are fairly affordable and approachable, and then you have others that are just a, a completely different world in terms of cost. There is a range, but they all are definitely more expensive than your average coffee, and then you go to that, – that's a varietal geisha, and, and it's grown in origins around the world, although you're seeing it – well, Panama is sort of the most famous um, uh, region that, that you'd find it in, sure. but you're seeing it more and more in, in Colombia and Guatemala, and so it's popping up in quite a few places. But um, but then there's, like, origins uh, like Yemen. You know, I, I love, love Yemeni coffees. I just – I think they're, they're infinitely complex, and they – strike me as single malt scotches, uh, single malts of the coffee world. Mm. And, you know, Yemen is really expensive. Um, if you're grabbing coffee from Yemen, you necessarily pay a good amount of money to get it green. Uh, that That's to do with the difficulty in exporting it. So, um, yeah, anytime you have one of those coffees, it's a little nerve-wracking because you're throwing several pounds into the machine. And if you screw it up, you've lost quite a lot of money. And I'm, I'm not, if I, if I totally destroy a batch, I'm, I'm not going to sell it. Um, you know, it, it really is just going to be my loss. So I think I've become more and more comfortable with it because I've done it a lot, but in the beginning it was really scary. It still is a little scary. And I have had other roasters. There's another roaster I know who said to me once, I, I had a, um, a red-grade coffee from Haraz, uh, which is this amazing region in Yemen that produces a lot of wine-like notes, and it's just super exotic and and, um, really peerless and and matchless flavors that you get from it. And I remember getting this. I I, I bought a ton of of red-grade coffee, which is the top grade from Haraz, talking to this other roaster, and I remember him saying, like, you're insane. Um, buying that much of it. And, you know, if you screw it up, you're, you're going to lose a ridiculous (laughs) amount of money. Yemen Yemen is very tricky to roast and not all of it. Like it, it varies bean to bean and all of that stuff and region to region. But I would say like, certainly, but almost every red grade from Haraz I've had has been just a bear. I mean, it's like you're fighting with the thing, the entire roast, And then somehow it comes out and it's, it's just magic. It's just unbelievably good, but they're not easy coffees to roast. So there's a certain amount of, of courage (laughs) involved with throwing that much money on the line and like grabbing them and hoping it turns out well. And the good news is that once you've done it enough, you get a feel for how a red grade from Haraz roasts and you kind of go, okay, well, I know that I'm going to have to adjust my heat application here. I know that I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to time the roast in such a way to make it to make it taste uh, optimal, and I, I think I've reached that point with a lot of a lot of these coffees that are the, the more celebrated, hollowed coffees. But in the beginning, it was really freaky, and it, to a degree, it will always remain freaky, just because there's a lot of money on the line,
0: you know. Absolutely, you, you know, I I think I was lucky enough, and I, I want to say it was uh, a while back ago. You had the Roz. um I know it's sold out since, but I was able to uh, get a bag while it's still available. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was one of the more impressive, uh, just, just enjoying the coffee getting lost kind of deals that I've, I've had in a long time. Um, yeah. and, and, and anyone that's listening or enjoys coffee in general, um, it, it is imperative, um, that you, that you try uh, everything that's available just because, it it really does make a difference. Elevation differences oh, yeah. of, of of location, the heat. I mean, it it is impressive. Um, I mean, I'm looking at some of the rare coffees that you have here, and you saw the Geisha, um, yep. and and the, even the oak barrel fermentation from Ecuador.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, that one is that one is something else. That's a really good coffee. Um, that one is not at all oaky. Um or at least not, not nearly as oaky as you would expect given the style of fermentation and the name of the coffee, but it, it's really explosive in flavor, tons of fruit notes. Um, yeah, it's just really wonderful, and I think zooming out in terms of selecting coffees for the rare section of the website and of the menu, I, I'm always looking for something that feels just totally different and the Oak Barrel is a is a great example of that. I think it's a really, really just awesome coffee. It's very unusual. Ecuador is also uh, just as far as origins go. I think Ecuador is one of the most exciting origins there is. I absolutely love coffee from Ecuador, um, and you know, very little makes its way out of that origin. So um, that's a that's a great one to have. Yemen, yeah. anytime I can get my hands on. A good coffee from Yemen. I spring in it, and in fact, right now, I'm um, I'm sampling loads of different auction lots from uh, Yemen. There's a Yemen specific auction that I'm going to participate in coming up, and that's another thing that that recently I've been doing more and more of, which is buying auction lot coffees. Uh, I had a, a coffee from DeTerra, which is one of the best known. Farms in Brazil. Uh, it's called the Deterra Masterpiece. Those are auction only coffees. You, you can only get them if you participate in the Masterpiece auction. And I did that this year, and I had um, this coffee that was called the Armadillo, which was a, uh, a really wild experimental process. Paraiso was the varietal. It just it, it was not the kind of thing that you you normally see, and it tasted just as unusual as the description sounds. And, um, that's kind of what I go for with, with all of those, those rare coffees. It's just trying to find something that is a standout, you know, that feels different.
0: And it all started with a boy and his young roaster. That's, (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's I'm just kind of like, like, wow, for someone that treats this, um, you know, that, that didn't go full blown business, but kind of thrown in, thrown into a business because it, it just kind of became that. Um, you, yeah. you've really kind of evolved it to like getting lots that are, you know, auction bid and rare collection yeah. of coffees. I, I'm just kind of like, how does one do that? Like, how does just one jump from one to another? Um, and, and somehow you've done it, um, eloquently where's, um, my friend's coffee's future, Gary.
1: That's such a good question. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to have a very satisfying answer for you because I don't think I've answered the question myself. But (laughs) what I'd say about it is that I don't know how much bigger I want it to get. Um, The bigger it gets, the less personal it remains. I've, I've already noticed. I mean, it's grown so much now that I, I still try to make sure that, I include a handwritten note with with each package and I, I try to make sure that I connect with every customer in some way or at least as many as I possibly can. But it gets harder and harder and harder and in the beginning I was really open to the expansion and at this point if it gets much bigger I'm going to have to I'm going to have to delegate responsibilities to people and I I'm a guy who kind of holds too tight to the reins, I guess. And I don't love the idea of doing that. Um, so I don't mind it staying this boutique thing that people know about and that I don't necessarily advertise. I mean, this is another thing about the business. I don't really advertise it. I don't, I don't, uh, I did this like a couple like, uh, Facebook ads early on, which were almost just kind of jokes, but (laughs) I, I, don't do any of that at this point, And I don't really have any interest in doing any of that. And everybody that finds me finds me because they know somebody that's had my coffee. And if they're ordering from me, it's typically because they've heard I'm good rather than me telling them I'm good via some sort of piece of advertising. And I really love that style of organic growth. So I don't love the idea of growing it in a different way, trying to, hit it with an injection of steroids that makes it some massive thing. Um, There's a question about whether I would open a brick and mortar. I've had a lot of customers ask me that, whether I'm ever planning on opening a shop, especially a lot of people here in L.A. Um, And The truth is I don't have any plans to do that right now because I think that the moment I do that, uh, everything will change pretty dramatically and my attention will be split between the roasting and the management duties that are part and parcel of, of running a retail operation. So um, right now I'm really content with where it is. And the more people find out about it, great. There may hit a point where I, uh, I have to figure out how I can, um, how I can either manage the growth or how I can, keep it exactly where it is so that it doesn't become impersonal so that it always remains this thing that I really love. I just don't ever want it to become anything other than a passion project. If that makes sense.
0: No, it does. I, uh, and, and you know, my, my heart's torn because I'm like, Oh, I, I really don't. I, I, as a fan, I, I don't yeah. want it to kind of go too large because you're right. it, it, it does lose its something. It loses yeah. that something, it, whatever that is, it, it tends to lose it from history speaking. Um, yeah. and, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough path going forward, but it's not a bad path though. Um, that's for sure. You, you, you definitely got a good problem on your hands.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm grateful to be in the position <laughs> to have to consider things. No question. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, down the road, maybe I'm gonna end up having a brick and mortar and I'll have like some massive company with
0: multiple locations. Yeah, <laughs> you never know, Gary.
1: It's like it's just not something I'm playing now, but you know, I'll I'll be very pleased about it when I'm like retired and some you there know you like go. five stores out, something it, like that. Yeah. that.
0: that's the dream, man. That's the dream. Gary yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Gary, where can people find uh, my friend's coffee?
1: So you can find it online. You go to uh, myfriendscoffeela.com. And that's where I sell pretty much everything. Um, There is uh, in the LA area, um, there is one shop that I still supply. That's the Handy Market out in Burbank. It's just an awesome shop. They have an amazing selection of specialty coffees, not just mine. You can check out the other roasters that are there, there too. I'm a big fan of a lot of them. Amazing craft beer and rare whiskey stuff there. Just a cool shop to be in. So, Um, If you're in L.A., you can check me out over there. Um, And and you're also welcome to find me on Instagram. It's just my friend's coffee. And you can shoot me a DM. And I typically get back to you as soon as I can. And uh, you can order that way too. One other thing I should mention is that um, a lot of the coffees that I have, I don't list on my website. And that is mostly to do with the fact that it's kind of a bear listing things on the website. Sure. Um, managing the website, managing inventory, etc. Uh, that's that's a big time suck. And I have tons and tons of coffees that I roast um, for subscribers, for friends, for myself. They don't all land on the site. So if you're curious about what I might have that you don't see on the website. You're always welcome to to send me a message on Instagram or you can send me an email, uh, Gary at MyFriendsCoffeeLA.com. And um, and I'll tell you what I have on hand. And sometimes you might find something cool that isn't on the menu. So that's another cool way of doing
0: it. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, Gary Lundy. Thank you. Um, don't forget to subscribe and get lost in conversation about Everything Coffee. Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or everywhere. You can get your podcast, visit Everything Coffee at everythingcoffee.podbean.com. Visit us at Java's Jacksy on Instagram, on YouTube, and everythingcoffee.podcast, I should say. And thank you for joining us and supporting local businesses in your city and around the world.